Good morning, RCC. It is a delight to be here. It has been nice to see these familiar faces that Pastor John just mentioned. Um, I, too, was encouraged by this thought, and this is not the sermon, but this is the mini-sermon before the sermon, that God doesn't desire flashiness but faithfulness. And I love seeing my, my, some of my friends from the past just continue to serve the Lord. I actually, uh, Ken Ha, uh, I don't even remember uh, the, the, the retreat that we were at. I was new to retreats back then, and I was thrown into a group of people, and he was my small group leader. And to see him faithfully serving the Lord, too, it's just a joy that the Lord really desires faithfulness uh, over flashiness, for sure. So it's a joy to be here. Uh, as, Pastor, as Pastor John said, I'm currently not pastoring, but make no mistake, ministry has not stopped for me, even in my work, and I continue to serve the greater church in doing this. I've been, uh, I, I made myself available to my friends in ministry, said, hey, listen, I know it's hard to take a break every now and then. If you ever need me, call me, and if I'm available, I'm there. And I've been doing this since January, every single Sunday, uh, so it seems to be meeting a need. And I pray for you as you seek your new pastor and this transition time that you're in, I'm just glad to be able to serve you in this way. So thank you for having me. Um, I, I, my experience prior to being a pastor for 10 years, I did have a 12-year corporate career. I was a leader at Lifetime Fitness and Target, you know, some big names that some of you probably know. And one of the things that are important to big companies like that are uh, something that's called brand awareness. Have you ever heard of that word, brand awareness? That they're, they're so... They're, just, they're so, the, the, the brand, they try to protect their brand so that whatever brand that they have, they want you to think or feel a certain way about it, right? Like Lifetime Fitness, when you see that logo, they want you to feel a certain way about it. Target was so passionate about protecting their brand. Like they, they made, wanted to make sure you had wide aisles and bright lights. You know, they were so particular about even the font that you use. If you wanted to make a sign at Target, it needed to be a certain font. It needed to be the right shade of red. They're so particular about their brand because they want you to feel a certain way about it or think a certain way about it. And before I begin my sermon, I want to actually do a little bit of an exercise that I'm going to ask you, I don't know if you're used to speaking uh, on a Sunday service, but I'm actually going to speak. I'm going to ask you, so what, what, what is this brand? Mercedes-Benz. And what are some things that you think about when you think about this brand? Luxury, expensive, last long, Right? German, strong. But these are the things that, again, Mercedes-Benz wants you to think about them. They don't want you to think cheap car. They want you to think expensive because it translates to, it's going to last long. It's going to translate into prestige. You want to drive a Mercedes-Benz. Right? And these marketers, they spend a lot of money thinking about how to get you to think that way. What about this brand? Google. They've even, you know, they want you to think what? You can know anything. You want to learn how to change your oil? Google it. If you want to learn how to bake a cake, Google it. And they even teach us how to talk now, to say, just Google it. Even my parents, my Filipino parents who are up in age amongst their friend in their native language, they say, I Google mo, which means just Google it. <laughs> it's amazing how Google has caused us to even say their name over and over again to, to create brand awareness. What about this one? Chick-fil-A. Chicken patty with bread and a pickle and amazing sauce, right? And what do you see when you go to a Chick-fil-A? You see a double drive through line wrapped around the building all the time. It's a phenomenon. But they get you to think a certain way about their brand because of the experience 
If you say thank you to them, what do they say? My pleasure, right? And they train that way specifically so that you have this experience with them when you think about their brand. What's this one? Huh. RCC, Restoration Community Church. Now, you don't have to answer this one out loud, but what do you think people feel or experience or think about when they think about RCC? Or when they visit maybe RCC for the first time? Like me. I'm here for the first time. What, what am I going to experience in this community when you think about the brand of RCC? Or even greater than that, the brand of Christ's followership or Christianity. Now, I don't need to know. I could go on your website. I could look at your core values. I could look at all the vision, mission statements. And I did, by the way. But I don't even have to know what you're after. I actually know what the brand is supposed to be because of the passage that we're going to look at today in Colossians chapter 3. Because the passage we're going to look at, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church in Colossae, to the church, those who have been redeemed, bought, purchased by the blood of Christ. And he's saying, if that's true of you, in chapters 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul talks at length about what was done to save us to regenerate us, that we were once alienated from God, but now we have peace with him, that we are made alive in him. And in chapters 1 and 2, that's what the apostle talks about. And he said, if chapters 1 and 2 are true of you, in chapter 3, it says, then this is what it's supposed to look like. This is what a transformed community looks like. This is the byproduct. This is the proof, if you will, that your transformation is genuine. So I already know what it's supposed to look like. I know what it's supposed to feel like. And so we're going to look at that today. What is the community, this new community that we as RCC and even the greater church is supposed to be like? But let me caution you, especially if you're a list follower like I am. We're going to go through a list of things. And what I don't want anyone to think about is, oh, okay, as long as we do the list, I'll do that, I'll do that, I'll put on this, I'll be this, I'll be that, then I become saved. Backwards. Backwards, that's a gospel by works, or salvation by works gospel, which is no gospel at all. Amen? There is no salvation by works. This is the byproduct. This is the proof. This is, if chapters 1 and 2 are true of you, then this is true of you. And when we look at this passage, we're going to be looking in, chapter, uh, in verses 12 through 17, but I also want to call out that when the Apostle Paul is talking here, like for example, in these first couple verses in the chapter, this is not our main text for today, but it says that if then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on, our, on, our, on earth. Now, when we look at this passage in our Western thinking, individualistic type of thinking, when we hear, if you have been raised, Set your minds on, on Christ, on things that are above. Our individualistic thinking thinks, oh, you as in me. You as in Pastor John. You as in Ken. But that's, if you look at the original Greek context, or the Greek uh, um, uh, language here, if you look at it, all these yous and yours in this entire passage is you all, the church. It's you all. If we were in the, in the South, y'all, right? So I think there's beauty in that. When we think about this is not just for you individually, but as a church, as those redeemed 
the body of believers. This is the you. So keep that in mind as we go through this passage. And we're going to read the passage here. And, you know, the Apostle Paul just got done talking to the, or writing to the church saying, okay, if this is true of you, put off these things. Put off sexual immorality. Take off idolatry. Take off all those things, greed, malice. But then he's going to transition into what we're going to look at right now. And this is what we need to put on. Let's read it. Chapter, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, at this time, we humble ourselves now underneath the authority of your word and ask that you would speak so clearly through it. Lord, nobody in this room needs to hear my words. We need to hear yours. And I pray that you would transform us through the power of your Holy Spirit through the preaching of your truth. And Lord, as we are transformed, may we walk out of this place changed because of it. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so what is this new community supposed to look like? What's the proof? I believe there's four things that we could bucket this entire passage into. And the first thing that I do believe that the Apostle Paul is saying is, if you are transformed, if chapters 1 and 2 are true of you, you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. As a new community, as a church, we need to be holy. We need to be holy. Now, sometimes, you know, we don't want to, you know, we don't like to call ourselves holy, right? Some people say, what are you, what are you, holier than thou? And, you know, we don't like to use that word. But you probably know that the word holy simply means set apart, distinct, different, set apart. And as a church, you are, you are holy, right? And we see here in verse 12 and 13, it says, put on then as God's chosen ones, he chose you, holy and beloved, set apart, distinct, And what do we need to be distinct in? What do we need to be holy and and, and different in? Well, here it it listed here, compassionate hearts. We need to put on compassion. Is this community described as being compassionate? Does your heart break for what breaks the Lord's? When you see someone in need, what happens? Does it move you? Does it cause you to do anything, think anything, pray, do something about it? It's the first thing that we need to be holy and set apart and distinct with is compassion, like the Lord has compassion for his people. When he sees people, he says, oh, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Does your heart break like that? You know, um, if I could just be vulnerable for a second here, I, you know, early in the ministry when I was, you know, becoming a pastor, or when I was just a pastor at Living Hope Church, I felt very convicted that 
I wasn't very compassionate. Like, I'm a very black and white kind of thinker. And if someone was, like, caught in sin, I'd be like, just get over it. Change. You know, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of compassion. I didn't have a lot of patience for people. So I was asking the Lord in this time, like, Lord, can you grow me in compassion? And um, I was in this season. And I remember taking my son. Uh, we were off to a baseball game early in the morning. And I wanted to get him breakfast. And the only thing open was McDonald's. And, and so we pulled into the drive through And while we were sitting there, I noticed a a homeless man, like, up in front of us. And I thought, okay, the Lord wants to grow me in compassion. I want to kind of show my son that I'm a good dad. So I'm going to buy this guy some food. It's like, that's that's what a good dad and a good pastor should do. And so I ordered my son's food. I ordered my food. And then I ordered two more breakfast burritos. My son said, who's that for? I said, oh, it's, it's for the homeless guy up there. My son's like, oh, yeah, that's good, that's good. You know, he was kind of, he was kind of going with me. I paid for the food, and I, I proceeded to go to the homeless man, and I, I pulled up, and I rolled down my window. I said, hey, buddy, you hungry? I got you some food, man. Like, here, you know. And then he knew exactly what I was doing, and he started laughing. He said, no, bro, I'm, uh, I just rode my bike to work. I work here, you know. And he started laughing at me. And I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed. My son almost choked on his Egg McMuffin. He was like, whoa! <laughs> he was so embarrassed for me. But it was, it was just it was a funny story that I was thinking about when I was thinking about compassion. But you know, it was this desire to want to meet the need of somebody. And I know it's a silly story, a silly example, but that was, that was my desire. I wanted to grow in compassion. But does that describe you? Do you see needs around you? And do you have this propensity to want to do something about it? Is this the community that we have here? Does this describe you? But not only that, we need to be holy, distinct, uh, different in our kindness, right? So not only that your heart breaks, but you actually do something about it. You're generous, right? That's what's described in the community all the time, that you give to those who have need. Does that describe you? Are you generous? Do you want to bless others as much as you want to be blessed yourself? That's what kindness is. We know what kindness is. But is that a descriptor of this community? Are you kind? I just met with a friend yesterday, a a good, faithful brother in Christ, and I'll tell you, in the world's eyes, he doesn't make a lot of money in his family, but they've learned to live within their means. They've set budgets, whatever. And he was just telling me how happy he is to be able to give things to other people. And in that way, he felt so rich. And it was just kindness that he wanted to do something about it, even though he doesn't have a lot. Does this describe you all here at RCC? We need to be holy, distinct, different in our humility. Our humility. We know what the opposite of humility is, is, is pride, thinking too highly of yourself. But the opposite of pride and humility, what it's not is thinking too lowly of yourself. Okay, I, I hear that often, like, oh, it's like, oh, no, I can't do anything, I, I'm, I'm too lowly. I, I think that's, that, that's what they call what, false humility, right? Humility, a definition that I've always lived by, is seeing God, seeing how God sees you, nothing more and nothing less, right? So you don't, you don't see yourself more than what God sees you. You, know, you don't get puffed up if, if you do something. You don't take credit for that. That would be pride, but at the same time, you don't think too lowly of yourself. You see yourself as God sees you. Nothing more, nothing less. So if you have, for example, the gift of, say, teaching, 
and you teach. And when you teach, people get blessed. And they go to you and say, thank you so much for teaching. I was blessed. We don't think too highly of ourselves. And we don't think too lowly. We don't say, oh, no, no, I'm not a good teacher. No, you acknowledge that yeah, the Lord has given me this gift. And I'm so grateful to be able to use it to bless the body. That's how you see yourself the way God sees you. Giftedness and all. But don't get puffed up. Does this describe you? Is this a humble community? We need to be distinct, holy, and different in our meekness, it says here. Now, meekness is not a word that we use often, and weakness is, meekness is not weakness. Right? It's often described, this word is often described as, you know, those Clydesdale horses? Huge, six-foot, eight-foot horses. You know, you guys, you guys know what brand uses Clydesdale horses? Budweiser. I don't know the connection there, by the way, but, but we remember it, right? So big, 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 strong horses who could like tear through stuff, but they're, they're controlled by just this little rein and often like this little trainer who can control these huge horses. But that's what described, that meekness is described that way as this strength under control. Does that describe you all? Do you have strength under control? Jesus was meek. He could have called down a legion of angels to come save him, rescue him, set the record straight, but he was, he was meek. That power was under control. Does that describe you all? But we need to also need to be holy, distinct, and different with our patience. Patience with one another. This is just literally having a long fuse. They were not blown off, you know, they were just going off the handle and getting upset with people so fast. You're so quick to get angry. no. Are we patient with one another? And very related to it is what comes next here, bearing with one another, forbearance. Can you bear with each other? You know, I, I believe all of us are a little weird in some way. I'm weird. And in many ways, we have to put up with the weirdness of each other, right? You know, this is like the secret to a great marriage. How do you, how do you bear with the flaws of your partner? But this is the description. It's like, can you bear with each other? You know, I don't know if this is still used in the church these days. But there was a, an acronym used when I was, you know, pastoring back in the day, early on. Have you guys ever heard of an EGR? Is that, okay. Some of you guys, yeah, some of you guys are nodding. But EGR means extra grace required. And every now and then you might come upon someone who is a little weird. And has some things that you're like, oh, they're quirky. And they're labeled as like, those are EGRs. We've got to give them extra grace. But that's, that's the picture of the body of Christ is that we put up, we bear with one another. We, we bear with each other's flaws and differences and quirkiness and weirdness. And by the way, word of advice, if you don't have any EGRs in your life, it's probably you. <laughs> so be aware. Do you put up with one another? Or you just have a short fuse? Oh, you're annoying. Oh, I don't want to be with you. Do we share? Do we, do, do we bear with one another? Do we have forbearance and patience with each other? We need to be wholly distinct and different in our forgiveness, just as the Lord forgave us. Brothers and sisters, I'll tell you, you're never more like Jesus than when you forgive. We all love the idea of forgiveness, but boy, when it's time for us to forgive, that's hard work, is it not? But this needs to be a descriptor 
of the body of Christ. We have been forgiven of so much. So we ought to forgive one another when there's, when there's grievances, when there's things that come between us. Does this describe you all? So not only as a body of believers do we need to be holy, but secondly here, we need to be loving. We need to be loving. In the verse here, in verse 14, it says, And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You cannot do these things, meekness, humility. You cannot do those things without love. Without love. You know, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about you could do so many things for the Lord. You could prophesy. You could do all these things in, you know, and, and, and do it unto him. But if you don't have love, what does it say you are? Clanging symbol. It means nothing without love. Love needs to be prominent in this place. Love needs to be felt in this place. The Bible says what? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you are redeemed followers of Jesus Christ. If you what? If you love one another. This love needs to be distinct, different than anything that anyone has ever experienced. When they come to this community, do they experience that kind of love? We need to be love. And it says that it, it holds everything together in perfect harmony. You know, I'm, uh, you know, back in the day, I wasn't a great worship leader, but I, I, I led worship a few times, and, and nothing was so, I loved when there was harmony. Like even when we were singing here today, and some of the women were singing the alto, I was just like, oh, I love it. When it's all mixed together and it's, you know, when we have like acapella and, oh, that's my favorite stuff. You know, I don't want to embarrass them, but, you know, Reggie and Nisa, like, they were some of my favorite harmonies that I would hear together. And it was beautiful. And, and, and that, I believe that's the picture here. That when all these things are working together and love is binding it all together, it's a beautiful sound, fragrance to our Lord and to the world around because they have ever, never experienced anything, anything like it. Does this describe this community? Not only do we need to be loving or uh, be holy and be loving, but we also need to be at peace. Be at peace. Verse 15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. This peace of Christ, this is the vertical relationship, vertical peace that we have now with him. We, again, in, in chapter 1, it says that we were once alienated, separated, had enmity with God. But now he's brought us peace, that we're friends of God because of Jesus Christ. And because we have this vertical peace with him, we ought to, it needs to rule and govern every other relationship that we have. This word rule here in the original language, it's this idea of an umpire having the final say. And that the peace of Christ, the peace that we enjoy with him, needs to have the final say in all of our relationships horizontally. The same that we have vertically with him. Do you do everything to protect the bond of peace? Do you run at the issues and the problems to want to resolve it so you can bring peace? Or you take the, the, the cowardly way out and just avoid it, hope it goes away. We need to do everything to protect the bond of peace. It needs to rule and govern our hearts. We need to do everything to protect it. Does this, brothers and sisters, describe your community? 
Do you go after the hard stuff so that you can exalt Christ through the bond of peace? It needs to rule our hearts in all of our relationships. We need to be holy. We need to be loving. We need to be at peace. And then fourthly, we need to be gospel-centered. Gospel-centered. It says here in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. The word of Christ here sometimes is misunderstood as the word of God. Now, it wouldn't be wrong to talk about the word of God, obviously, but this is the word of Christ, the works of Christ. This is the gospel. The gospel needs to be centered around everything that we do here as a community. It needs to be central. It needs to motivate. We need to dwell. This word dwell here is we need to be saturated in the gospel. It needs to inform everything that we do. That we would admonish one another. We would teach the gospel. It needs to be so central. We need to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs about the gospel. It's that important. Sometimes my heart aches when I... When I, when I feel and I sense some churches drifting from the message of the gospel. We don't have to add anything to the message of the gospel. And for sure, we don't have to subtract anything. The message of the gospel is powerful to save and change lives. And we need to keep preaching it. We need to teach each other, admonish one another, sing songs and spiritual songs. You know, like I said, as a worship leader, there was times where I would struggle sometimes to find music that was gospel-centered, you know. You know, I, I'm not so much, and, you know, I'm not trying to knock any artist or whatever, but I'm not so much into the touchy-feely songs about me and what I need and whatever. I want to focus on the gospel. You know, we, we sang some song, you know, God is good this morning, and, you know, was focused on the gospel and what he has done on our behalf. It needs to remain central to what we do here. And then it says, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through, through Him. So it's not only when we gather here, but in everything that we do. When we go, we've gathered here, and we talk about the gospel, but then when we scatter and go to our workplaces and our schools, we talk about the gospel and we live it out. In everything that we do. You don't, know how, you don't have to know Greek and Hebrew to know what everything means. You know what everything means. In every aspect of our life. The gospel needs to inform every aspect of our life. Giving thanks to him, giving glory to him for what he's done in our life. He's transformed us through the power of the gospel, and now we need to go and be that transformation in the world with the power of the gospel. So RCC, I ask you, how's your brand? How's your brand? What's your brand? You know, what, what do people think about? What do they people experience? Is it a holy community? Set apart, distinct in compassion, meekness, humility, forgiveness. Do they experience a loving community where it's a beautiful harmony, where it binds everything together? Do people know that you're his followers because of the way you love? Are you at peace? Not only peace with God, the peace that we enjoy, but are you at peace with each other? Is that the kind of community we have, and are we gospel-centered? You know, whenever I speak at a church, I, I try to do my due diligence and try to learn a little bit about the church, especially if I've never been there before. 
So I'll go, you know, the easiest thing for me to do is go on a website and look at core values, look at mission statement, vision statement. And I came across this on your website, and I wanted to share it with you all. I don't know how often you read your own website. I don't know how often you talk about your core values and mission statements and things like that. But I was struck by this, and there was a section around community. And it says this. This is straight from your website. The apex of God's grand plan to restore our world is a renewed people. The Christian's experience of God's grace is to be a primarily communal experience. This goes against the grain of our individualistic society and our natural tendency toward selfishness. But that's precisely why the gospel matters. We too were undeserving of God's mercy, but he loved us anyway. And when Jesus died on the cross, he secured God's love and approval for us forever. So instead of demanding it from others in order to have meaning in life, we're free Uh, We're free to love and serve them, even, especially, when it's difficult. God intends for us, as individuals, to live out the gospel in community. That means we need to learn to love one another, value and affirm one another, put up with one another, bear one another's burdens, pray for each, each other, challenge one another, and encourage one another. In short, it means we grow with one another as we do life together from the youngest to the oldest. Does this not sound very much like what we just talked about? in Colossians chapter 3. I am so grateful that your founding pastor and your founding elders had the conviction to know that living in this type of community is what the gospel demands. And I love the statement. It says, a gospel community on mission. That's strong, brothers and sisters. That's strong. Because the gospel needs to be central and you do it within the community a transformed new community who then goes out on mission and brings it to the rest of the world. That's a strong statement that your founding elders put together. How are we doing? How are we doing? In this season of transition that you find yourself in, my encouragement and challenge to you is the DNA from the beginning of this church is right. And more than ever, even as you seek your new pastor, whenever that is, this is where it's at. Of what you guys stated is true of this community, that we need to be gospel community on mission. May that be so much more true than it's ever been in your, the life of this church. That you come together and you bear with one another, you love one another, you serve one another, you forgive one another, and you be that community that God has called you to be as a byproduct of your regeneration in Jesus Christ. It's not dependent on any one person. You know that, right? Amen? It's not dependent on one person. It's the community that comes together, the gathering here of RCC. I just want to encourage you and admonish you and challenge you to keep going, to live out the DNA that was here from the beginning. May God bless you in the days, weeks, months to come. May you be found faithful in the Lord. Amen? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Before I pray, can I ask you to ponder upon these things on your own? And as you pray, I'm going to encourage you to not just pray for yourself, but to pray for this community. Again, not doing these things so that we can attain salvation, but doing these things because we have been saved. We have been rescued. Our lives are different now. 
So this is what we need to put on. We need to work at our salvation. This is what we need to put on in our sanctification, in our growth. So can you pray for this community that this would be true of you? And especially in this time of transition, that this would be true of you. That when the Lord looks upon this people, it'd be a sweet, sweet fragrance. Can you pray on your own and then I'll close us in a, in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word that guides us, instructs us, reminds us of how we need to be living. Father, I pray for RCC and I thank you for this community. I thank you for the faithful preaching of God's, God's word here for many years. And Lord, for such a time as this, they find themselves here seeking what it is you want. Oh Lord, I pray that you would just blow them away with how good you are. I pray that they would be found faithful, serving each other, loving each other, forgiving each other, bearing with one another in love, showing meekness, kindness, compassion towards one another. That's a sweet fragrance to you. I pray that love would be a distinct marker of this place and they would be at peace and they would always be centered around the gospel. May they never stray from the gospel. In their discipleship plan, may they never stray from the gospel. In the children's ministry, in the youth, may they never stray from the gospel. But may it be the heartbeat of this place. May they always preach Jesus and then go out and live it out boldly for the cause of Christ. Lord, be with these people. I know you love them much. Give them encouragement in the days to come. We trust you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray.